This is All Things ANSYS, a podcast of the technical support staff at PADT. Episode 37, we talk about digital twins with ANSYS simulation and then review news and events from the ANSYS world. Hi there, my name is Eric Miller, and I'm one of the owners here at PADT and longtime ANSYS user, and welcome to our podcast. It's hard to believe it's May already. We're crunching our way through the year quite fast. Uh, we're a little bit stuck in a time warp here in Phoenix because usually by May it's quite hot, but uh, it's been kind of mild, and we're enjoying it. I, I had uh, meals and such outside several times this weekend uh, on patios, which is something we've usually given up by now, so we're enjoying it. Uh, as to the podcast, we're up to 10,812 total downloads, over 36 episodes, so holding steady at 300. And that was really helped by our wonderful interview with Dr. John Swanson, the founder of ANSYS, which has over 452 listens. So it's definitely our most popular episode so far. And we hope that it brought some of you on board who are new to the podcast and that you find it enjoyable beyond John's interview. Uh, we enjoy doing it and we love having you on board. So please spread the word and uh, subscribe to whatever your your pod download podcast downloading tool is and let us know how we can do better at podcast at pdtinc.com and uh, let's just go ahead and get started uh, today we're going to talk about this idea of digital twins and ansys has a product around it and um, it's it's kind of a cool thing so let's just get right into it i'm going to be speaking with matt sutton one of our engineers here at pdt and um, see what we both have to say about this very interesting and growing topic. Um, I'm joined here today by Matt Sutton, who's calling in from his uh, office in uh, in the in the central uh, U.S. Um, Matt, welcome to talk to us about digital twins today. Yeah, thanks, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so so digital twins is kind of a new thing in the ANSYS world, and I'm going to start off with a little bit of a background for those that aren't familiar with it. The the basic idea is that in the world of the Internet of Things, IoT. In fact, let's back up and talk about IoT first. So what I, the industrial Internet of Things is is basically making machines smart by putting sensors on them and then connecting them to the Internet. And then once we've got sensors and connection to the internet, we can take data that those centers, sensors capture, upload it to databases, and then do all sorts of cool stuff with it to, to, to monitor what's going on out there. That's been around for quite some time. Maybe even get some warning signs, some flags set up that says, hey, if I start seeing this amount of vibration, there's probably something wrong with the bearing, go ahead and shut it down, all the way to predicting based upon way before you start getting the vibration, oh, my temperature's going up. I might start getting a vibration. I might need to look at the bearing. You know, these are kind of things that people do with the Internet of Things. And the basic idea is that these sensors create a large amount of data that then we apply analytics to, including artificial intelligence, to try and figure out uh, what kind of behavior is actually going on out in the field, which is very powerful. The idea of digital twin is, as the name implies, to create a digital twin of a physical product. So what we're basically doing there is modeling the hardware and using simulation to uh, run the behavior of the model and then pull out what would be a sensor otherwise. So maybe the temperature, maybe vibration, maybe acceleration, maybe position, you know, whatever it is we wanted to measure with a physical part, we can measure in the virtual world. 
And so we're here with Matt today to talk about uh, how you can do that with Ansys, how you can create these virtual twins with Ansys. Uh, and we're going to talk about a product called Twin Builder. And we're going to just talk about why multi-physics in general is such a good tool because often in the real world, we're modeling multi-physics type operations. So before we get into the products, is there anything you want to add to my description about IoT and digital twin, Matt? No, I think you I think you nailed it. I mean, it, it really is just, like you said, a sort of like a, a virtual replica of the of the actual part, so or the actual system uh, is what we're trying to create. So um, yeah, I think that was a good introduction. And, and I'll also point out before we get into it that, that we got interested here at PADT in it because we had a customer that's a long-term ANSYS user that was working in an industry where the, they're the equi- original equipment manufacturer from s- some large machinery. And their customers are remote, and to be honest, they don't want to share their data. So as an OEM, they would love to get data back on the performance of these big machines they make, but the customer's like, no, we're not sharing that. So So how do they figure out you know this kind of IoT thing, so they can help their customers. Well, that's when we started looking at doing digital twins for them, which is to model it in simulation. They can put it through its paces and then give information back to the end user, where they can use it on their data, but use a digital twin to, t- to train it. And we'll talk more about that in detail. So let's start off by then talking about this product called Ansys Twin Builder. Matt, what is Twin Builder? <laughs> well, Twin Builder, I guess historically, Twin Builder was called Simplore, uh, which is a sort of like a system level um, modeling tool. And the way I, I think of it is it's very similar to like a circuit editor in that you're looking at a, a large system potentially at sort of the component level and you're able to pass information from one component to the to another. Uh, and that information could be things, you know, like in a typical circuit, could be things like voltages and currents and so forth. But then um, it can also be physical quantities like temperatures or torques or forces or displacements or any of those kinds of quantities that we normally work with when we're looking at a particular item or a particular component within a within a system. So it enables us to sort of glue it all together um, at a high level and work at it from a schematic standpoint. Mm-hmm. So a system level modeling tool, but it plugs into our physics solvers. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, um, it really has just a plethora of hooks that you yeah. can use to... Um, you know, to plug in various types of simulations, whether whether it be like the full you know, fidelity 3D physics, and you're doing some sort of um, what we would call like a, a co-simulation, where you're you're managing multiple solvers and communicating between the two, or or you know you might decide to do something where you condense down the information from a from a detailed solver into something we call a ROM, mm-hmm. um, which is a reduced order model, and that and that then becomes um, sort of behaviorally like like the detailed model, but mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't have all the complexities when it comes to the actual solution. So uh, it makes the solve times you know much more reasonable uh, from a system perspective. So yeah, oftentimes that that ROM is is an equation or a lookup table, right? So you, you have yeah, inputs exactly. and outputs, and um, like a real basic one would be, uh, say, an electric motor. Um, you've got 
your your input would be what your your control voltage looks like going in, um, and, as well as your power, and then your output would be things like torque and um, vibration. Yeah, if you were to do it at a multi-physics level, yeah, exactly. And uh, and there, are, and you know, one thing that's really nice about the tool itself is that it comes with a library of just a whole host of different okay. um, components that are that are pre-built. You know, that mm-hmm. are um, uh, simplified versions of something like a motor, or if it's in the electrical domain, you know, all the normal components of resistors, capacitors, right. inductors, all those kinds of things. Um, but even more complicated components like actual ICs um, mm-hmm. that, that do, you know, certain behavior. Um, and then even the multi-physics domain, there'll be mechanical components and, uh, you know, hydraulic components. And uh, what's really cool about um, Twin Builder, what used to be Simplora, is how it's able to maintain conservation across those physics domain so if you you put in a certain amount of electrical power like in your example in the in the electric mm-hmm. motor um, an equivalent amount of mechanical power and losses in terms of heat generation is going to come out the other end so it's going to maintain conservation of energy across the components um, just sort of natively which is not something that a lot of system modelers right. do and so right that makes yeah. it uh Sort of physically more um, robust in that in that sense. Well, I think that's a key point. So a lot of these digital twin IoT type tools out there, really, you you plug in some sort of a closed form solution by by using the super accurate simulation capabilities in the ANSYS suite, we can get a much more accurate and responsive model and maybe even turn up stuff we didn't program into the equation that we didn't know was going to happen. Uh, I keep yeah. going back to like rotor dynamics on a spinning electric motor. There may be a certain speed when you're ramping up that causes a lot of vibration that you're not even going to be aware of in a closed form solution. But if you've got a rotor dynamics model built into your system, then you can, as you ramp it up and the speed you ramp it up, you can see whether it starts vibrating or not. So, yeah, exactly, and uh, it it is you know very powerful. It's sort of a paradigm shift though. When when for for those of us who've mm-hmm. kind of been around for you know analysis for a number of years, right. where we were, you're sort of looking at a component typically, mm-hmm. right? You're looking mm-hmm. at just one one piece of a of a system, but it's really rare that um, any actual asset is something that some product that mm-hmm. somebody's going to build or or sell is going to be made up of one component. It's going to be made up of a whole bunch of components right. and, and they may span multiple, what we would call physics. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where this system really sort of fits in is that it glues all those together. It's very broad in its, mm-hmm. its scope, but it may not go quite as deep in the in the uh, in the details of a of a given you know component or physics, it may try to simplify those, but it, it's very broad and that it covers the entire system, um, and that's really kind of a paradigm shift right. from what most of us are used to. Right, right, and if you do need to go deep, you can do the full physics model. Um, yeah, absolutely, and, and either yeah. co simulate or build up the table um, to do the lookup on. So it's it's pretty powerful stuff. Uh, you know, one concept I, I left out in the introduction, and, or maybe I didn't, and I forgot that I that it was in there, is this idea of virtual testing. And that's one of the ways that I kind of get my head around this is that if I'm going to set up this IoT system, I'm going to do a lot of physical testing. Well. Now I can do the virtual testing to train. Um, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, so go, go ahead. 
Yeah, I was just going to say along with that, um, I mean, most most things that are being developed today require some sort of control, some sort of um, they'll have a soft often have a software component to them where they're running some sort of control algorithm on a on a you know an embedded mm-hmm. system that's that's driving this device. And uh, one of the great features of of Twin Builder is that you can integrate into it those control algorithms, mm-hmm. um, and you, you can even use uh, another tool called SCADE, uh, which will plug in seamlessly into um, Twin Builder to build up your whole software side of, mm-hmm. of the product and do so at a sort of a schematic level. Uh, but then that software component is interacting directly with what you were describing as your, you know, sort of virtual test or your your system that you're developing, and you're sort of co-developing the the software and the controls while you're looking at this virtual system. Uh, so you don't you can sort of don't have to wait till hardware exists before you can start the control side of things, and um, that's also really powerful. And, and and much more cost effective, right? You always want to get yeah, as absolutely. much done before you start ordering hardware. <laughs> so yeah, that's really cool. And you, and you might, I mean, obviously, you're still going to be ironing out things and, and tweaking stuff once you have hardware. But to get to the basics of what the control system is going to look like and perform, do that virtually um, with a system that's going to respond very much like the real mm-hmm. physical system real deal. Uh, yeah. is yeah, is really powerful. Yeah, and in fact, I, this kind of came home to me when we brought a customer to ANSYS headquarters. So those listening, if you get a chance to go to ANSYS headquarters, they've got a little digital twin demo in the lobby, and it's a it's a water reservoir and a pump, and they they basically um, you know choke the flow into the pump. And that causes it to misbehave, and and how do you recover from that? And it's a great example of a digital twin because yeah, they have the full mechanical system there, and they can tweak the knob and see you know ch- changing various aspects, valves and things basically to bypass the the motor so it doesn't stall out. Um, they 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 can do that in the physical world, but they can also do it in the virtual world with the digital twin. And they kind of show you in the demo how they do that. And then they hit the go button, and they do that. Once they figured out the right way to deal with this problem of starving the flow upstream, they come up with a good solution using simulation, and then they implement it there and live in front of you. So um, I think it's FlowServe is the company they did that with. So if you get a chance, definitely check that out. It, it kind of brings home how cool and effective this tool is. Um, I, I uh, uh, Matt, let's talk a little bit about integration. Um, it works with other tools, right? So it, it works with SCADE as well as all the ANSYS physics solvers. But what about third-party tools? Yeah, so there. So uh, a lot of people do work in in, in Simulink, MATLAB mm-hmm. Simulink, and so there's a strong connection um, mm-hmm. between that product with Twin Builder. Uh, but then also even the um, as you mentioned at the beginning, the uh, industrial Internet of Things, so things like PTC, uh, ThingWorks, and, and other um, IIoT mm-hmm. uh, providers that will plug in directly with those. And uh, as you mentioned, too, because it's a system-level tool, and if you're using um, sort of these higher-level models like ROMs or 1D mm-hmm. or 0D models, it often can solve um, in either you know, better than real time, or at least real time, um, so that you can, you know, 
you, you predict what's going to happen before it actually happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's a real powerful thing, especially when you start talking about integrating it into an actual physical mm -hmm. system that's been instrumented right. with sensors and so forth. Um, so sort of get into that predictive mm -hmm. mode of things. Yeah, one of the cool applications that I've seen is um, using one of these industrial IoT tools like PTC ThingWorks, integrating your virtual models in, and then um, trying to understand because because the problem with some of these models is they're black boxes, right? You you know that the 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 voltage is going up and then the heat goes up, but you can't really see why. But with a virtual model, you can. So you can you can take the real world input. What are the real world you know speeds and feeds and pressures and such, and then exercise that on the virtual model and then see why it's behaving the way it is. Why is it heating up? How much does it heat up? And things like that. And, and that's that's a pretty powerful tool as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean. With my background, you know, sort of being a lot of uh, customization, software development kind of things. A lot of times, when you're debugging something, mm -hmm. you want to you want to be able to isolate in on a particular, yeah. you know, set of data that's causing the, the the problem, and you end up replaying it kind of over and over until you find what the bug is. And it's similar in this case to what you could do with an actual, you know, like a virtual mm -hmm. uh, component, and that you can take that accumulated sensor data and you know exercise the physical or excuse me the virtual um, part as if it were the physical part and then try to you know isolate in what exactly is causing uh, that problem like you mentioned and then you can often find what you know what would be a viable solution so um, it is kind of like a debugging tool mm -hmm. uh, in, a, in a sense as well that's a great way to look at it I think um, in my involvement with tech startups, we tend to we get into this realm. We talk a lot about machine learning and artificial intelligence, and we get our and big data. We like to throw the term big data around, and we get kind of ourselves all excited and lathered up about that. Um, and, and there's a huge potential down the road for that. But you bring up a really good point. A lot of this is just applicable to day to day, very straightforward. Hey. This is not behaving the way I want it to. Let me test it over here in my digital twin until I figure it out, and then I can try it on my real hardware. And, and there's a lot of that debugging capability is real value today. It doesn't need some fancy uh, artificial intelligence software to make it work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and and you reap the benefits even during you know product development if you mm -hmm. if you can maintain in lockstep sort of keeping your digital twin up to date. Right. Then as you start to you know, garner some test data or, or sensor data, then you can use that. And uh, and so it's um, it is just another you know, depending on how you look at it, it can be a, a a pretty valuable tool in the toolbox to even in product development. Right. And which and, and also in product development on the software side, that made me think of a situation I've run into where. Um, the software people were way ahead of the hardware folks as far as getting physical hardware. And they wanted to do kind of a hardware-in-the-loop type testing where they put the sensors and the device out there and made sure their software wasn't buggy. And they didn't have any hardware to do that with. So being able to do it in software um, mm -hmm. early in the development phase benefits the software people just as much as it did, uh, benefits the, the hardware people. Yeah, exactly. And same, same thing for, you know, if you're... The UI, whatever right. it's going to interact with the end user, being able to mm -hmm. uh, come up with you know all kinds of fault conditions sort of virtually mm -hmm. and uh, be able to to 
to make sure your UI is behaving as it should is uh, is valuable as well. So, um, yeah, it's really it's a powerful tool. So, so that 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 made me think of this. Uh, there's a blog article from about two months ago. Uh, called How to Build a Digital Twin from a System Simulation. This is the ANSYS blog, so ansys.com slash blog. And if you search for digital twin, you'll find it. And it's kind of a cool example of uh, somebody that went in and and built a a model of different things, like a jet engine or uh, a battery, uh, and a specific example is a the engine control module uh, for a battery. So figuring out um, the software with a battery stack, that's really expensive. and takes a long time to get that battery stack, and it's pretty. It'd be pretty expensive to put it on a bench and then have to run your software to debug it on the physical part. So I think it's a great example if you dig into it of uh, of getting things done uh, using the virtual modeling, and and it's it's also a good example of what the system model looks like as well. So I highly recommend people check out that blog article um i think that there just go ahead and search on digital twin there's a couple of older ones out there and then we mentioned in last month's uh podcast that there's one for oil and gas as well so how to use digital twins in, in um actually yeah oil and gas health management every time i see the headline the headline on it is how oil and gas digital twins improve prognostics uh, health management, and all I see is the health, and think it's a healthcare application. So <laughs> it's healthcare of your oil and gas rig. Um, so what's what do you think? This this is one I didn't really mention when we were talking about what we we're going to talk about today, but I'll throw it out there anyway and put you on the spot. What do you think the future of digital twins is? Mm, yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, um, well, obviously is. Solver speeds are just going to continue to um, increase, both the the efficiency of the actual solvers and then clearly the hardware. If things continue as they have, it's going to mm-hmm. uh, increase in speed and so forth. So, I, to me, that says that the um, uh, the fidelity of the of the component models within a a larger system model is going to increase, um, and therefore the ability to capture more type, more modes of operation and potentially modes of failure, um, even in real time, is going right. to increase. So it, it'll really be interesting to see, you know, in 20 years from now, and if if uh, there's a time capsule, what we can, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether or not it's like a full fidelity model mm-hmm. uh, running in real time. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean things like using the discovery live technology to get you know it's not not as accurate, but to get quick enough answers in real time, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty powerful. So so <laughs> maybe maybe in twenty years your automated dog feeder will actually have a little subset of answers running on it yeah. uh, to, to, <laughs> to optimize the the feeding mechanism. I'm not quite sure why you'd want IoT in a dog feeder, but maybe that's it. Um, <laughs> I I think one of the things that that popped in my mind is that this concept of edge computing so like here in in arizona they test a lot of the autonomous vehicles especially the the google one the waymo um and a lot of that driving around for hours and hours and hours is to build up this data set and now that we can do lidar uh we can do radar we can do 
all of the mechanical stuff, all the fluid stuff. We can we can model the complete testing of this vehicle in a virtual environment and build up and train it to how to deal with situations using a virtual a digital model. And where I'm going, I mean, that's we've kind of talked about that already. But where I'm going with that is there's a lot of compute power in that vehicle. And we call that edge computing. You're compute instead of computing back at the cloud, you're computing out of the edge where the devices are. So right. I'm thinking you can put in the future we're going to be putting these digital twin models into the edge as well, so that the AI running the car or running the machine tool can say, well, I see a problem. Here's how I these are the different variables I can change to fix it. Go out and exercise it instead of on the real hardware, which may blow up if I make a mistake. I can do it in a virtual piece of hardware that's there in the edge, not necessarily out in the cloud. So yeah. I'm excited about yeah. that. Answers everywhere, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, before we wrap it up, is there anything else you want to add that we haven't talked about? No, I, I think that you know covers it at, certainly at a, at a high level. I, um, I think the other thing to mention too, though, is that we've we've talked you know exclusively sort of about digital twins and and but just the okay. the tool twin builder or previously known as Simplor. Um, is a great tool just for doing uh, system level modeling. Even if you don't have it in your mind that I'm actually coming up with a a true virtual replica of an actual physical asset, but I'm, maybe I'm only looking at a smaller subsystem, mm -hmm. um, and it is still highly capable in that uh, realm as well. So, um, and it sort of lends itself to the crawl, walk, run philosophy, where you can sort of build up subsystems and, and exercise those and then go into a, a larger digital twin. Very good point. Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, it, it is a powerful tool, and that's why it's so good for digital twins is it's so complete. So you can model everything you need for your digital twin, but it's also just a great system modeling, system level modeling tool that we should remember is there. Even though the name has been changed, um, it, it's still a system level tool. Um, to learn more, I do recommend going to the blog, the ANSYS blog, and searching on Digital Twin. You can also attend a webinar that we've got coming up. Let me check and make sure I get the date and time right. So it's called Optimized Product Performance with ANSYS Digital Twin, and it's going to be online using Bright Talk like we always do on the 22nd, which is a Wednesday. Uh, next week. So do check that out. You can register on our website if you go to the events page. Um, you can just click on uh, information and register, or you can just go to Bright Talk and search for PADT on Bright Talk, and um, you can see it there and register. And again, you don't have to attend live once you're registered. You can download the recording. Uh, Matt, you're going to be teaching that, correct? Uh, yes, yep. I'll be the one presenting. So as we always say when we're pitching a webinar on these podcasts is we've been talking about all this cool 3D stuff. Now you can actually see it in the presentation that uh, that uh, that Matt will be sharing there. Um, I think the other thing to do is really you know broaden your horizons as to what your company's IoT plans are and and how you can use a digital twin even if you're not doing full IoT. In some ways, we've been doing digital twins for 35, 40 years, right? Because we've been building these virtual models and exercising them to try and solve problems in the field. Um, 
you know, I, I, we didn't call them IoT sensors, but we had strain gauges on there, um, and we were getting data from the strain gauges, maybe not as fast as we do now, and then we were making decisions based upon running simulations um, to predict the behavior and to fix it. So um, it's been around for a while, and I think we just got better tools to make it happen. Um, that's pretty much all I've got. Uh, any parting parting thoughts in general before we sign off, Matt? No, I think just uh, go out and try Twin Builder. Um, yeah. It's it's uh, it's available for you know for use, and so give it a shot. If it's, if it's a really good fit for you, reach out to your ANSYS salesperson. Uh, we've got demo capabilities, and we've got some uh, some case studies that, that maybe we can't put on the web that they can talk to you about um, one-on-one because of proprietary stuff. But um, there's there's just a lot out there in the world of this, and it is the future, right? I mean, we're going to be going to IoT everywhere. Um, I, I actually sit in – I'm looking at my desk right now, and I have a smart coffee cup that talks to my cell phone and tells me what temperature my tea is, and I can change the temperature from my phone and I can see how it goes down um, I'm, I'm sure it's collecting data on my tea consumption and selling it to Bigelow or one of the other tea uh, Starbucks or whoever tea purveyor but uh, but IOT is going to be everywhere and virtual twins would be a great way to get to design better designs faster just like every as- other aspect of simulation so thanks Matt um, are, are you dealing with rain there or are you dry? no it's a br- it's a beautiful sunny day uh, about 70 degrees couldn't ask for better perfect perfect I know some parts of the country are having some bad weather so hopefully I'm glad you're dry um, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk soon and please do sign up for his webinar right. thanks Matt you bet so welcome back. You can tell that Matt and I kind of think this is a cool thing and we can't wait to use it more and learn more about it. Um, it's kind of an, like we mentioned in the podcast, it's kind of an old concept. We've been building digital models, digital testing, virtual testing for quite some time, but putting it together with the whole IoT data situation has really given it a lot more value. So it's, it's just another way that simulation can add value to your company. Um, if your company has an IoT strategy, think about digital twins as part of it. But even if you're not specifically doing IoT, maybe your users are, maybe your customers are out there. So people who use the products you use ANSYS to design and test, uh, maybe providing them with digital versions of your product is something that can help them with their IoT strategy. So think big about that. Think, think outside of the box about it. Uh, we do, as mentioned, have a webinar coming up on the 22nd of May. So go to Bright Talk and search for PADT to find that. Or you can go to our website, hit the events link at the top of the page, and you can find it there on our events list. And uh, whoever you get answers from, get your answers support from, reach out to them and ask them about more to learn more about digital twins. It's something that all of us will probably be using in the future, so we should know more about it. And it's just a great system level modeling tool, even if you're not doing IoT. So let's pause for a commercial break uh, to talk about how PDT can help you with simulation services. Dave, you know that sending simulation work outside can be very difficult. I sure do, Linda. It's so hard to find someone that knows how to conduct simulation that also understands our products and design needs enough to add value. How do you know you have the right partner? You are so right. That is why so many companies turn to PADT for their engineering simulation needs. They are experts in structural, fluid flow, thermal, and electromagnetic simulation. They know how to drive design with simulation because PADT has been doing it for over 23 years, and some of their staff members have been building and running models for over 30 years. That's a lot of experience, but let's be honest, working with a lot of outside providers is like throwing your projects over a wall. You send it, wait, and then get a number and a bill. 
that isn't what most people need. You hit on a key difference with PADT's team and why they have been doing this for so long. They have the technology down, but they also know from experience that constant and smart communication with customers is critical. And when they get done, instead of delivering just a number and pretty plots, they provide insight into the physics and behavior of what they're modeling. It really is like having a group of experts right there on your team. That is comforting. You can get burned without that. So I know I'm being kind of a skeptic, but simulation can be expensive and budgets are tight. So I want to make sure they really are a good solution. My last question is, how on earth do they stay so up to date on so many things? Yes, their capabilities are kind of overwhelming in breadth and depth, but the answer is pretty simple. Besides doing simulation as a service, they are an ANSYS Elite channel partner. They have to sell to and support over a hundred customers. This gives them exposure to every ANSYS product and almost every industry and application. You really can't find that anywhere else. Okay, Linda, you convinced me. If someone needs to get some simulation done, how do they get started? Easy. They can email info at padtinc.com, call 1-800-293-PADT, or visit www.padtinc.com simulation. Someone from their engineering team will get back to them, usually within a day, to talk about what you need done. Cool. Thanks, Linda. Anytime. So what are you working on anyway? So one great example about how uh, PADT can help with doing simulation consulting is helping you build digital twins, maybe figuring out what your IoT strategy needs to be, how to use the various ANSYS products, including Twin Builder, to create a virtual representation, a digital twin of what your products do. So do reach out to us so we can help you with that or anything else you're interested in. In the area of news, the big thing to talk about is the stock, the ANSYS stock. Uh, it's Monday the 13th as I record this uh, episode, and the stock is up to 191.88 as of 2.40 today. So we've had a little bit of a downturn. Um, I don't know when you're going to be listening to this, but if you remember back to this week, we're still kind of fighting with China about the whole trade thing. And uh, I think the market got a little spooked by that, so it went down a little bit. Um, ANSYS was up, I think, to uh, 197 at some point in the last couple of weeks. So um, the key thing to note, as I always like to point out, is that the S&P 500 is up since January 1, 17.71%, and ANSYS is up 39.4%. So we continue to outperform the S&P 500 as a stock. And as I always say, I have no reason to understand why, but uh, we'll take it. The, the big news besides the stock in the ANSYS world is that they did release their Q1 numbers on May 1st. Actually, I think the press releases came out that night and a lot of articles written about it on May 2nd. Uh, the big news is that uh, their non-GAAP, so their non-standard accounting practices, uh, general accepted accounting practices, that's what GAAP stands for, was, revenue was $319.9 million, which is well above what they thought it would be, what they, what they call guidance, what they tell the community they expect to see, and it was also above what the experts out there estimated, so very strong Q1 from a revenue standpoint. In fact, software revenue was up 11.8%. Uh, to $123 million. And uh, lease licenses, uh, making that up, lease licenses grew 45%, and perpetual licenses dropped 6.9%. So what we saw there is some big deals that used leases instead of paid-up licenses. So you saw that kind of drop on one and increase on the other. So it be interesting to see how that plays out over time. Are companies going to go back to leasing versus buying? We'll have to see. 
revenue in the Americas was actually very good. It was up 41.8% for the quarter versus the 2018 Q1. And Asia was up 13.1% as well. But Europe, unfortunately, was down 6.9. So they continue to see uh, softness in the European market due to all sorts of stuff that's going on over there. But we expect to see that recover, hopefully, in the near future. Cash-wise, ANSYS has $607 million on hand. Yes, that's $607 million in the bank. Um, as of the, that, that, uh, the press releases that went out on May 1st, who knows if that's gone up or down, they had 774 at the end of 2018. So they did spend some money, quite a bit of money between now and then. Uh, part of that that we can point to is they bought $53 million worth of shares back from the stock market. So they continue to do that to keep their prices up. Um, they also, the, the other big chunk of news is they bought another company. It was a company, they bought the assets, not the company, but the assets of a company called DFR which does electronic automation design. They have a tool called Sherlock. And what it basically does is look at the reliability, it does analysis on the reliability of your electronic components. Um, so if you're in that space and you don't know the Sherlock product, I've got a blog post for you to read coming up that I'll mention. So there we go, another acquisition. I uh, don't know much about the details of it other than it was done. And we're very excited to have them in the ANSYS family now, just ex really expanding our capability to model electronic systems. In the PADT news, uh, we got nothing. We're really boring. Um, I have to say, this year we have just been kind of chugging along, doing quite well, but no new big announcements. So a little boring on the news side here. We didn't, uh, of course, we're not publicly traded, so no stocks to talk about, and we didn't buy anybody. So just kind of boring, chugging along. The ANSYS blog, um, they continue to put out some great posts, and, and we really haven't done a lot lately because, as I always mention, our tech support team is super busy, so they don't really have time. But also, we look at things to write, and ANSYS has already written some great articles, so we just don't do as much as we used to because we don't have to because the tech support team at ANSYS is really putting out some great material. So the three that I picked that I think everybody should know about is uh, Al Hank, who's a longtime uh, friend of PADT's. He actually did write up about DFR and the acquisition and what DFR does uh, with some good examples and some images. So if you're curious about that purchase, if the electronics world is part of your simulation genre, do check out that article by Al on the ansys.com blog. Um, they also took a look at how, I really love this one because I'm a big fan of, hot, of fusion, right? So I, I'm hoping that someday fusion will solve a lot of our energy problems. And there's a really good article written about how they've used ANSYS to design uh, a reactor that does fusion and get this at 150 million degrees Celsius. So obviously they're isolating some things and dealing with some thermal management problems that are above and beyond what we normally deal with. And then my last article I'd like everybody to know about was written by Bill Culp, and he explains how overset meshing in ANSYS Fluent can be used to model cavitation. So, you know, cavitation are little bubbles that come off the propeller uh, that cause damage to the metal on propellers or whatever. You can, you can have it uh, in, in any kind of a case where you create a big pressure drop and it causes a lot of water vapor to form, and it's called cavitation. And overset meshing is where you have regions in your CFD model where you have different meshes and they kind of overlay each other. And the software takes care of transferring the temperature, the, the velocity, the pressure, all that stuff between the two mesh regions. It's a pretty useful tool when you've got, say, a 
propeller rotating next to another propeller rotating. So you've got different frames of references and different meshes needed for each piece of geometry. And you don't have to worry about making the mesh work for all of them. Each piece of geometry has its own mesh. Sounds like a good topic for a podcast. I'll have to let Trevor know that. I think it'd be good to know more about it. But you can learn right now by reading that article that Bill wrote. And you can also, at the bottom of the article, I highly recommend uh, he linked in a video that's been out for a little bit about how overset meshing works. So if you have any curiosity, scroll on down to the bottom of the article and check out the YouTube video that talks about overset meshing in ANSYS Fluent. Event-wise, uh, nothing this week, but next week, uh, May 24th, 20th through the 24th, PADT will be at Rapid in Detroit. So if you're going to Rapid to talk about all things 3D printing, we will be there. Uh, I'm actually doing a presentation, I think on Tuesday, maybe it's Wednesday, on uh, uh, scanning, how we use scanning with additive manufacturing here at PADT and some uh, practical advice on how to get scanning done better. And uh, we also have the aforementioned webinar on the 22nd where we're going to talk about digital twins and twin builder in ANSYS uh, and that's again Wednesday the 22nd and as always we always mention just go ahead and register you don't have to listen live you can download it later uh, what comes up after that is in Southern California for those of you listening from SoCal we are going to be part of the ANSYS innovation concert conference which is the user meeting that they have every year it's going to be in Irvine this year on the 30th of May so you should have gotten an invite for that, but if you haven't, just go ahead and check out our website and our events page, as well as uh, the ANSYS event website and register for that and show up. Some great speakers, uh, really looking forward to that one. It's gonna be some good topics. Uh, any of you who are turbine engine engineers, like I used to be, we will be at the ASME Turbo Expo, which is fortunately in Phoenix this year. Yes, it's in June, and yes, it's in Phoenix, and yes, it will be hot. Um, it's the 17th through the 21st. We'll have a booth for just PADT, and we'll also be in the ANSYS booth and the Flonex booths. So we'll be all over that place for a sponsor. We'll be at a couple of the uh, social events. So it's a great time if you listen to this podcast to seek us out and say hi. Uh, also that same week, unfortunately at the same time, so I won't be able to go to the Turbo Expo that day, is the Arizona Aerospace Aviation and Defense Conference and Manufacturing Conference which is our annual Tech Council event for people who make stuff for those industries, as well as manufacturing in general. So busy um, second part of June there. And that concludes what I wanted to talk about today in our podcast. So I thank uh, everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope we helped you understand a little bit more about that buzzword digital twin and that there's a lot of value behind it, as well as the tool uh, twin builder and uh, caught up on stocks and news and podcasts or blog posts and everything else. So spread the word about the podcast. Don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, we keep getting great emails and we try to answer all of them. We really appreciate it and have a great uh, rest of May. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us for the All Things ANSYS podcast, episode 37. As a reminder, this podcast is not affiliated in any way with ANSYS Inc., and the opinions expressed are those of the people on the show only and not of their current or former employers. For more information, visit www.padtinc.com blog, and please share your thoughts and questions through an email to podcast at padtinc.com. See you next time.